0: Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep the Mining podcast. And today's guest is Graham Crew, who's the COO of Golden Star, who is an established West African gold mining company operating the Wassa Gold Mine in Ghana, um, which is a large scale non refractory underground mine. They're listed on the New York Stock Exchange, the Toronto Stock Exchange, and the Ghana or Ghanaian Stock Exchange. Um, Graham is an experienced mining and operations executive with over 20 years' experience in Australia and Africa. Um, So, he's well well placed to comment on the fortunes of Golden Star and how mining is a critical contributor to humanity and sustainability. That's well, welcome Graham to the
1: podcast. How are you doing, Graham? Good, thanks, Rob. Good to be on.
0: Yeah, and I appreciate your time as well. So, why don't you give the audience um, an overview of your of your background um, from way back in the day when you graduated, and um, and yeah, t- tell us a little bit about your journey. And obviously, you're you're from Australia and now in you uh, now in the UK. So yeah, I hand
1: it over to you. Thanks, Rob. Uh, yes, I'm a mining engineer by background. Um, a lot of my career has been in the underground mining world, um, gold in particular. Um, grew up in Kalgoorlie, which is a which is a famous gold mining town. Um, school of Mines there. Um, graduated in '96, uh, being a mature age student. So I worked in the industry for a few years and then back to uni. I felt like an old man at the time, at 23, um, going back to uni. But um, I, I think you know I really value the experience pre and post university. Now, I think it's, you know, it's given me a good practical grounding um, that's, that's served me well over that mm, 30 years since I first kind of stepped onto a mine site. Um, yeah. So, yeah, School of Mines graduate. I've worked in different sectors in the industry. So I kind of started out in the contractor uh, world. Um went across to some owner operate operations. I've done a little bit of consulting. I didn't, didn't really like consulting because, you know, your recommendations tend to sit on the shelf. I, I like to be able to, to implement things. So, um, and as you mentioned, spent a, a couple of years in Africa, in Tanzania, um, running the Bullion Hulu uh, gold mine there. So, um, yeah, which has all led me to the point of joining Golden Star uh, first off, in September October twenty eighteen, um, and then as a as a non executive director, and then coming on board full time in July twenty nineteen. So, just coming up to two years with Golden Star, and um, yeah, really really enjoying the company and the and the challenge.
0: Yeah, um, you, meant, you mentioned obviously you worked for con, uh, obviously contractors and and worked for miners. Um, yeah. and it's funny i spoke to a candidate literally about an hour ago and they they're working for a a miner and they were looking to to get some exposure with a contractor and they were asking what my what my opinions are yeah what how how what would you get what would you say to someone if they want and, and do you th- do you think it's good for a candidate to get experience working for a miner and working for a contractor. this candidate is actually working for a, a mining company um, and hasn't worked for a contractor. And he was debating whether he should move across. And I said, well, you should do, because you're going to see both sides of the fence.
1: Yeah.
0: Even if you want to sit there, even if you want to go into that role for a couple of years, at least then you sit, sit both sides of the fence. You can see different, um, different problems from different angle or the same problem from different angles. Um, yeah, how, 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 how was it for you working on both sides? and
1: yep. Yeah, I look, I, I agree. Like I think um, it's a real benefit to understand um, both sides of the fence, as you put it. I think that you know what contractors bring to an operation is real focus about what they do. And, you know, and I think that, you know, there's a real skill for owners in how you contract and how you use contracting to leverage your own um, strengths, I guess, and weaknesses. So, um, you know, contractors provide, I think, a really valuable service, um, you know, depending on where you're at in the, in the cycle as a company or an operation, you know, contractors bring, you know, well-established systems they bring people with the experience. Some cases they bring the capital uh, that enables you to get the operation up and running. So, you know, I think I think contractors are a really important part of the industry. And, uh, you know, I would encourage anyone that's, you know, passionate about their discipline, um, certainly in the mining engineering field, you know, I think that experience with contractors, certainly from my point of view, serves me really well in, in sort of understanding, you know, what can a jumbo do? What can a a loader do? What can a truck do? um, You know, what are the fundamentals of underground mining in my case, but it can equally in open pit mines as well. So I think having exposure to both sides is really valuable. Um, Equally, you know, I know plenty of people who have worked for 30 years in the contracting business and, and, um, have been really successful at doing that. So I don't think there's one way or the other, um, but I do, I certainly value the exposure and experience that I have um, in that side of the industry.
0: Yeah. Well, Andrew, I, I no doubt will be listening because I know he listens to this podcast. So um, yeah, I think I, I think you've, uh, Graham's answered your question there. So.
1: <laughs> Pushed him in the right direction for you. Right? <laughs> yeah, certainly. <laughs> um, yep.
0: So how did you get involved in in Golden Star?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I got involved in Golden Star in 2018, as I mentioned, when um, La Mancha um, did a significant investment in the business. So um, Andrew Ray, who was the CEO of La Mancha at the time, asked me to come on board as a uh, non-executive director um, and as a representative of La Mancha on the board um, he, he did that because he was looking for someone with the kind of technical and underground operating experience. At that point in time, Golden Star had two underground gold mining operations and uh, and, and so that technical experience was something that he was looking for to support um, so to support the LaMter investment. With, with a bit of time and getting involved, you know it was clear that the executive team at the time, Had 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 done a fantastic job of actually taking Golden Stars where it had it had been really capital constrained, Um, but there was an opportunity to for a new team to to really start to uh, transform uh, transform the business. So um, you know, so the opportunity came came to like join full time, which you know I was really excited to do. you know, I've seen La Mancha investments in uh, Evolution in Australia and Endeavour in West Africa, and uh, you know, I've seen that 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 additional capital has really been able to help those businesses uh, leverage and grow, and and with it, the you know the people in the organisations as well. So, you know, I was I was pretty excited to get involved it, it, at the time I was living in Perth and uh, it was, and head office was in Toronto. So it was a, it was a pretty heavy schedule of traveling between Perth, Ghana, um, Toronto and so on. So it, it was, you know, the, the ultimately the plan was to move the head office to London, which we did. Um, and, you know, I moved to London in January last year, not ideal timing on a personal front with a, with the pandemic, but um but certainly still, um, you know, happy and, and seeing the you know, the potential that we have to develop Golden Star.
0: Yeah. Um, obviously, just before we came on air, we were speaking about obviously transitioning over from Perth to here. Yes. Um, what I'm finding now with a lot of Australian candidates in the market looking who have, have previously done FIFO expat international roles, Tending to work in their own countries now because ros- rosters are longer oh, and yeah. quarantine periods. So yeah. my question is, how have you found the transition from moving from Perth to London? If if other if other Australia obviously if we forget uh, obviously a bit about COVID, but if Australians were looking to if they want to continue working in Africa, for instance. But don't want to do that commute, and they're in a position to possibly relocate to the UK. How have you found? Have you found that transition? And what advice would you probably give? Give anyone?
1: Oh, yeah, it's hard to separate from from COVID, really. And but you know, we had a lot of support in terms of visas and and things like that. So that um, that obviously helps when you've got a company that's sponsoring you and and doing visas. I mean, that that was a that was a pretty uh, exhaustive process as I'm sure it is going from the UK to Australia. Um, So that was, so having that support was, was helpful. Uh, But, but all in all the, the, the lifestyle, although different is familiar enough, um, you know, coming across, I've got a couple of teenage children that had to make the transition. So that was, that was challenging for them, but they've, um, adjusted or adjusting still, um, but you know we've we've had to go through a lot, even even in a golden star perspective, in terms of not being able to travel, working from home, uh, um, and all of those things that have made it you know quite a quite an interesting year, let's say. Uh, but in terms of access to Africa. Um, you know, it's super easy for me now we're on the, um, well, time zone's just gone out by an hour from Ghana, but you, you're within an hour on time zone. It's a, it's an easy six hour flight. Um, it's, uh, you know, we're on a train line to Heathrow. So it's, it's all in all, it's a lot less disruptive from a, from a travel standpoint, um, you know, Perth is great if you're working in the Pilbara, or you're working in the in the eastern goldfields um, as a fly in, fly out destination. But you know, through through um, you know UAE or or somewhere or even South Africa, it's you know it's quite a long way um, into sub-Saharan Africa out of Perth or even more from Melbourne or Brisbane or or Sydney. So, um, yeah, happy with the move. Um, and, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes as hopefully as the world starts to normalise a little bit over the next 12 months or yeah, so. Yes, yeah,
0: certainly. I mean, I speak to a lot of Australians and some of them have sort of distant relations, not, not necessarily distant relations, their parents and, and grandparents sometimes have um, enabled them to have British passports. So it's yep. just, I suppose, an option that I'm putting out there that they could consider that if they're in that position to do that. And if they want, yeah. to can still continue working in
1: Africa. So, and when you think, Rob, when you think about the access that you have from, you know, from the UK to Europe, um, Middle East, you know, North Africa, North America, um, you know, the the um, uh, West Indies, you know, um, you know, I, I I probably didn't conceive of how many different places you you. Uh, uk nationals go on holidays um mm. you know from from london so you know there's a there's a lot of opportunity to uh to visit different places when the world opens up a bit more again certainly certainly <laughs> yeah. right let's get back on
0: track now um just wondering if you can tell us more about golden star um sure. and what what you've done to make it successful so far um and also <laughs> i wondered if you can outline the company's roadmap roadmap um, to produce sort of 300,000 ounces a year.
1: Yep. Yeah. looks like you've been on the website. Um, yeah. The, 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 uh, yeah. I think there's a, there's a few things over the 18 months that I've been involved full time. Um, you know, I mentioned one thing, you know, we, there's, there's a new management team in place. Um, sort of the final piece in that puzzle um, come into place January last year. So new management team, Relocated the, the sort of corporate office to London, um, even, even though we've still got a um, you know presence in Toronto, being Toronto listed, but but the main sort of corporate office is now out of London. And and the idea behind that is it's an Africa focused business, and the time zone, as we talked about, the time zone and the access just works um, from that perspective. The uh, in terms of you know balance sheet. Obviously, the Mancha investment in in September 2018 was a was a key point, but there's been a fair bit to do. As I mentioned, it had been a capitally constrained business, so um, post that investment, there's been a lot to um, re-engineer the balance sheet, if you like. So, you know, we managed to retire some expensive local debt with a um, facility with Macquarie. Um, we. We managed to sell Boguso Prester, which was an operation that was um, consuming cash. So, and the the idea behind that is to really focus the resources of the the company on developing Wassa, which is a we think is a large world scale um, deposit. Um, the, the challenge is now to transform it into a world you know world class operation. So. Um, yeah. So, so a few key things around um, balance sheet. We also announced earlier this year an at the market um, fundraising and that that's um, additional liquidity to help with um, exploration programs and things like that, that we see is um, having a, a pretty significant benefit down the line. So, so yeah, that, that's, I guess that's the corporate um, type transformation. We, you know, and the aim is to be a sustainable, diversified gold mining company. And what we mean by that is, you know, leaders in terms of sustainability, um, diversified, you know, obviously we're, we're a single asset company now, but we, we want to diversify beyond that, you know, multiple jurisdictions, multiple operations, um, but importantly, a company that our stakeholders are proud to be associated with. And that's, that's a small statement, but when you think about it, that there's a lot of different stakeholders in a gold mining company you know, from shareholders through to, you know, local community and, you know, to have all of those people proud, you really need to be recognised as, um, you know, exceptional stewards of of the resource and the capital that people invest in that. So, you know, there, there's a strong vision there to to achieve that over the next, you know, four, five, six years um, through, you know, through the strategies that we put in place. Um, one of the key ones that, that you mentioned was uh, the roadmap to 300,000 ounces a year. Um, in early March, we put out a new technical report for WASA, which really lays out that roadmap um, to, well, uh, over 11-year um, life in the, in the PEA portion. I, I should probably explain two, two parts of that technical report, the reserve update, which is a kind of six-year mine life of of reserves, it's about 200,000 ounces a year, a bit less um, at pretty good oil and sustaining cost and and delivering some good good NPV. But on top of that, we did a PEA of the Southern Extension area, which is a 7.5 million ounce resource. Um, That outlined another 11 years on top of the reserve. Um, Gets us up to that 300,000 ounces a year mark. It's a twin decline system, you know, All in sustaining cost at around you know sub 800 US dollars an ounce, um, and delivering an NPV you know of you know circa seven to eight hundred million dollars at the at the consensus gold price at the time. So, you know that that roadmap that development plan for Wasa is is a pretty exciting. We're thinking of it as a base case, but it's a pretty exciting roadmap for Wasa. At the same time, you know the, the the language you're using in the business is, you know, building it as a model mine that that we can then showcase and, you know, demonstrate to investors and communities and governments, etc. You know how Golden Star can be the preferred partner in their jurisdiction, how we can add value, how we can not only deliver um, a world class mining operation, but you know, world class non-mining livelihoods beyond the, the resource and so on. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a pretty grand vision, but there is a roadmap to achieve that.
0: Yeah. Um, you mentioned $800 uh, gold an ounce. Um, have you done anything to reduce that cost to that level? Um, or is that what you sort of started off with sort of near yeah. the beginning?
1: Yeah. So- So, so Wasser at the moment is kind of around a thousand US dollars an ounce, and the the main the main driver of of reducing that over time is increasing the the throughput. So, one of the things about the PEA plan that that eleven years post reserve um, is it's you know Wasser was previously an open pit operation, so there's a large mill there which we're currently using say 60% of the capacity of. So we don't need to do any mill expansion. We don't need to do any footprint expansion. Um, we can operate within the current permits in terms of the, the tailing storage, etc. cetera. So in, in terms of expansion projects, it's, you know, compared to a greenfields project, it's very low risk. Um, but the economies of scale are obviously in going from two hundred thousand ounces a year or a bit under up to you know that three hundred thousand ounces per year. Um, that being said, in the PEA we've we've used uh, twenty twenty costs. We've used uh, we've used conventional mining technology. So we've used long haul open stoping, diesel fleet, etc. And what we see as a real uh, optimization opportunity is to really look at those some of those sustainable technologies that are coming to the fore. Um, you know, since we put out the PA in March, we've been meeting with various OEMs, etc., and and getting getting some information on their roadmap, technology roadmaps. You know, um, battery electric vehicles, um, some, you know, novel, different novel haulage sol- solutions. Um, you know. Data solutions, those types of things, to really, you know, we think there's real potential to improve on what we've published in the PEA uh, based on, you know, some of that some of that technology improvement. You know, uh, you know, looking at an increased um, mix of renewable energy in the in the cycle, etc. So there's you know, we see a lot of opportunity in that technology roadmap. Um, Given that we've got a long life, we've got a six-year reserve and 11 years um, of um, development potential beyond that, um, you know, we we see a lot of potential to optimise that even further, largely through technology. Um, The the priority this year, of course, is to start that conversion of that large inferred resource and, and start the conversion of that into, um, into a reserve that we can really start to build that investment case as we go forward.
0: Yeah. Um, talking about obviously technology. Um. What other technologies um, have you introduced to the site? Which is uh, and obviously how's that made it made a difference? And I what other sort of technologies are you looking at moving forward?
1: Yeah. Uh, it's a good question. One thing I'll say about Wassa as a as an underground mine. Um, it's pretty well set up. And, and, you know, even through COVID, which was obviously a challenging year and, and, you know, logistics and supply chains were all things that we had to monitor, you know, the, the, the mine was able to deliver on guidance and, you know, guidance that we'd actually increase through the year. So, you know, I think in, in terms of technology at WASA, there wasn't a whole lot um, to add um, what we've what we have started to do is really look at uh, our systems, and you know, looking at looking at our what, what we've termed the management operating system, but but the the you might you might you know call it the ecosystem that the mine works within, and and one of the key enablers to that is how you capture and gather data. Um, so you know, there's a there's a real transformation happening I think in the industry when it comes to data and we're probably a little bit behind in that regard in terms of you know fair bit of manual data capture still using manual uh, timesheets and plots etc and uh, you know our transformation journey or the first part of that transformation journey is around getting a lot of that data more automated and getting getting the the data to the hands of the right people at the right time to make the right decisions so you know rather than have having to take 24 hours to turn around you know get get the timesheets or get get the shift plots get them entered into the database get the reports out um, you know one of the things we we've, we've done this year is we've managed to create a proof of concept around automated shift reporting so um, or daily reporting so now once a day you know, sitting here in London in my spare room, um, I, I log on when I open up my web browser, it comes up with the daily report straight away with, you know, the most up-to-date information from site. Um, it, it's, a, it's a small thing, but, it, but it's a proof of concept to, you know, what we can do with data. And, you know, the ultimate aim is that, you know, your, your processing plant supervisor or ship boss underground has got real-time data to be able to say, yeah, look, yeah, we're on track here, or we're behind the plan there. We need to adjust, and we need to we need to take a short interval control to um, to to achieve the plan. So that that's probably a that's probably a short-term focus for us. And then if I then if I look at the longer term, you know, there's a lot lot happening in the control space around um, even things like ventilation systems. Being able to dial up and dial down ventilation, you know where you need it in the mine, um, you know at times when you need it. So post blast, being able to maximise it, but dial it back to save energy at other times. There's a lot. There's a lot happening in that that control space. Um, but the big one, the big one, is really around the um, the fleet. You know, you're starting to see now the you know drill rigs, for example, that you know tram around the mine, but mostly they're plugged into you know a power source. Um, electrifying those things pretty easily. Um, so you know most of the most of the OEMs now supplying underground drills with uh with electric drive um, carriers, and so I think that's that's where we're going to see the transformation. We've had meetings with. Um, some suppliers, you know, are starting to go into the hybrid area for loaders. I think, um, uh, Sandvik, you know, I think they've got a, their first 50 ton battery electric truck. Um, and, you know, so for me, it's not going to be too long before there's a 60 ton version of that. And the infrastructure of mine starts to change where you're not, you're not looking at refueling bays underground. You're looking at battery change stations underground. So, you know, I think those types of electrification and automation strategies um, are really where we're headed with with WASA, but, but the industry generally um, I think is, you know, it's, I think it's creating an exciting future for itself um, because then we need, you know, we need to educate our people in slightly different things. It's not just about, you know, breaking rocks now it's about okay it's about the technologies that uh, that enable that in the most efficient way so um a, a pretty exciting roadmap for wasser i think and the industry as a whole
0: yeah certainly and with the fleet what is the sort of time frame that you would put to it to sort of i suppose have the whole fleet electric electrified
1: yeah good uh, another good question so so this year, as, as I mentioned, the priority this year, having done the PEA, is is getting some drilling investment into the ground, um, and and starting this starting this roadmap of um, electrification uh, at WASA. So we've got a, We've got a bit of a deadline that by end of twenty twenty two, we've got kind of key decisions are made about haulage solutions because we're not just looking at we're not just looking at electrifying uh, trucks per se. You know, we're looking at other sort of haulage solutions around. Um, you know, there's some there's some new conveyor type systems out now that have got more flexibility. Um, even looking at you know conveying or or you know even looking at the old shafts option, which we've looked at previously for Wassa. Um, but if you can if you can get that capital and operating trade off right, some of those systems systems, you know, that don't require as much um, carbon footprint, for example, um, become a lot more interesting. But so by end of 2022 is our deadline of, you know, we we need to have a fairly good look at, at least least for the part of the ore body that we now know, you know, what is the haulage system that we're going to put in place. So we'll be doing a lot of work over the next 12 months to really map out, um, you know, when that will occur if I was to take a guess today uh, and, and I would say that, you know, the next major fleet investments that we do um, maybe in 12, 18 months time will be in electric in some shape or form. So whether it's, you know, new jumbos, I'm sure they will be electric drive, um, you know, utility equipment. I'm sure that there'll be a move towards electric drive um, in those. So, you know, I think we'll start to see that conversion fairly soon.
0: Yeah. Um, what challenges have Golden Star faced and overcome sort of during your time there? Um, yeah. I suppose from both mining and a corporate perspective.
1: Yeah. Look, it's, uh, you know, whenever you're doing a transformation corporately, it's, you know, there's challenges. But, um, there's, there's the kind of getting to know each other phase. So we had to, we had to go through that. Uh, and then we, you threw in a sort of global pandemic um, <laughs> to, to make that just a little bit more challenging. Um, but, you know, in that time, I think we've managed to, uh, yeah, maybe you need to ask the site teams this, but, you know, we've managed to build some relationships internally um, we've managed to maintain good relationships in the communities and, and you know, with, with the government and, and the, you know, various um, uh, institutional stakeholders. And, and we've really started to, to show, you know, what Wasser is capable of. So, you know, we've managed to improve production year on year. Um, but a lot of a lot of site a lot of credit goes to the site team. You know, we've managed to deliver some key projects. You know, we've we've in partnership with a company called Gensa, We've built a gas fired well. They've built a gas fired um, power station at site with a long term um, arrangement with us. And we started to talk to them about renewables. Um, we've delivered a pace plant project, which is you know a, a standalone pace plant. You know. Designed by Grez in Perth and, and delivered in Africa, you know, without being able to get kind of all the engineering support to site, and a lot of, you know, virtual systems and you know, um, headset-based cameras and microphones, and uh, we've managed to do an electrical upgrades all through COVID, um, but a lot of credit does go to the site team and the engineering team and the projects team there. Um, you know, one of the advantages of operating in Ghana is you've got some really good technical skills in Ghana and and we've been able to deliver on that. But I think corporately, you know, some of the work that we've done on the balance sheet, the the transaction with Bogus O'Prestia and, and maintaining those good relationships has been, um, you know, has been quite a lot of work, but I think it's been... Um, it's important to recognise that a you know, lot has been achieved over a year or a year and a half, um, with some challenging circumstances.
0: Yeah, you mentioned relationships a couple of times, yeah. and I think that's important, especially in any in, in I suppose any type of organisation, um, yeah. more so probably in mining as well. Um, has the relationships got better since or during COVID? And what would you say if it if it has? Why why during COVID relationships have got better, tighter, and that could be with internally, that could be externally. Would you say there's been a, a difference during COVID than before COVID? And if so, what what are the reasons why?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think for Golden Star, I think it was in different phases, Rob. I think that you know initially there was a you know very concerted. Response. I mean, we were talking about um, whether we would be able to continue to operate at all, whether governments would shut down operations as they did in some jurisdictions and, you know, starting to have real business continuity conversations. Um, it, It became clear that, you know, certain industries were going to have to continue to operate and you know, for me personally, there was a few light bulb moments around, you know, that the, the supply chain logistics around food and, and you know general supplies ha- had to be maintained somehow, uh, and and I think you know that there was a recognition, uh, certainly in Africa, that the mining industry produces you know a lot of income, um, not only for. The government, you know, through taxes and royalties, et cetera, but through the employees and and um, through the local procurement and local contractors and and all of that. So, you know, I think there was pretty strong support. Certainly in Ghana, um, the government recognised pretty early that the the industry was important um, to that to the sustainability of the nation, and so we were we were able to um, have some. Some support, and, and like a, a very small example, but but with a big um, outcome, is exporting gold to the refineries. Um, you know, kind of flights stopped, um, and you know we 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 started to talk charters, and, and you know working with other industry players to to uh, bring in charters. But of course then we had to get permission for charters. And when we kind of explained the situation to the government, they kind of went, ah, right, this is this is important. We need to we need to um, get this approved. So, you know, sort of had a multi-agency response to enable the industry to bring in charters to be able to export gold and and therefore continue the income um, for Ghana. So so I think you know there was a, there was some mutual reliance there around that. Um, and the government was also like all the governments producing guidelines around being COVID safe and COVID safe workplaces, et cetera. Uh, and we were able to comply to that and contribute to that via the chamber of Mines in Ghana, et cetera. So, so I think um, in some ways we, we, we had to work together strongly, but I think without a foundation of relationship and, and understanding that that would be, that would be more difficult. But I think, um, you know, I, I think over time that that became a um, important relationship. Yeah.
0: Um, you're obviously passionate about mining. Um, so I wonder if you could explain what the critical components to sustainable and better mining practices um, as ESG is obviously playing a bigger part in the industry more I suppose more than ever so today and it's it's one of those buzzwords that's always out there. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I, I think that ESG is, yeah, it might be a buzzword, but I do think it's a real trend in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's something that we, Golden Star, we really want to be recognised for, you know, that, um, that environmental social governance piece. You know, it, it comes back to the very start of the conversation when you know, we talked about, you know, being an organisation that stakeholders are proud to be associated with for us, um, and it is—you know—it has to be more than lip service, and it has to be about creating sustainable livelihoods. Uh, I think, you know, the, the the mining industry is one of the industries that you know kind of consumes its resource, um, and that's—you know—it's an important difference from. You know manufacturing, etc. But, you know, there's an old saying that if it hasn't been grown, it's been mined. You know, everything that underpins our modern society, our modern way of living, the fact that we can sit on a Zoom call now and, and do this um, podcast is due to the fact that someone has gone and got those minerals from somewhere and turned them into something else. And so it's, it's important that we continue to do that, but it's important that we do that in a way that's uh, ecologically and environmentally responsible because uh, there's no point if it just destroys the earth while we do it. So, you know, I think that technology is going to be a, a big, big part of that. I think that, you know, we, we've talked about electrification and electrification is... is is about efficiency from a mining perspective, or for me, it's about you know more efficient motors. It's about efficient use of energy um, to extract the minerals that we need um, to to have an efficient economy uh, that can sustain you know whatever whatever the population of the world's going to be. So, you know, I think it's really important as a primary industry that we're real contributors to that um, to that journey. It's um, you know, if you, if you go and talk to, I don't know about the UK yet, but if you go and talk to any primary school student in Australia um, and you ask them about whether we should recycle and reuse things, I'm sure they've been educated in it. If you say to them, you know, should we mine things, they'll probably say, oh, no, mining's not, not sustainable. The, the fact is if we, if we want to have the lifestyle, we do mining is absolutely essential but it is up to us um, as miners as mining companies to to show that we are uh, responsible stewards um, of the environment so you know I think I think that's both the challenge and the opportunity opportunity for us but I I'm really encouraged about the level of um, change and the way the discussions really evolved, especially over the last year with COVID, I think it's really evolved even more. Um, I think it's really brought home to people that, you know, yes, we, yes, we want to have a certain lifestyle, but we have to be very responsible about it. So, you know, you know, setting targets around greenhouse gas emissions. So one thing we're doing this year, for example, is we're doing a baseline of, okay, what are all our greenhouse gas emissions? And, you know, and then starting to build that roadmap. Um, you know that that uh, greenhouse gas abatement curve over the next few years and, and it's all around those technologies we talked about electrification automation improved efficiency and so on um, but really having making sure that we've got a strong plan to achieve that so you know i think i think it's i think it's exciting it's a challenge but it's exciting for us for us miners to you know to help deliver a better future for the for the birth
0: yeah, and has it, has Golden Star initiated any ESG initiatives with the local yep. communities? For instance, is there anything that you want to speak about around that?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think um, you know it, it it predates my time with Golden Star, but one of the things that you know as an organisation, uh, people in the organisation are most proud of is the the Golden Star oil palm plantations, and and that's a sustainable livelihood program. It's a it's a totally not for profit arm of the business and you know what that does is it invests in sustainable oil palm um, growth and palm palms one of those things is a very widely used commodity um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of a um, lot of concern about how it's developed um, in some places you know, in terms of um, you know cutting down primary forests for for oil palm generation What, what? Where our model is a bit different is it's it's not doing that. It's it's talking about reclaimed mining land. It's talking about developing, um, you know, maybe some change of crops. Um, But it but it's it's helping to build a sustainable resource that the oil palm business provides some horticulture kind of science um, to improve the yields and the um, and the way the way that it's done in a sustainable way and it creates livelihoods that will outlast, you know, the mining operations. So even if the mining operation lasts, say, 17 years, those oil palm plantation businesses will go on um, for a long time. And, you know, it's it's quite incredible to see, you know, a reclaimed tailings facility just covered in oil palms, you know, and you see, you know, and that's, that, that's the, that's a real benefit I can see that alternative livelihood that outlasts the mining industry. Um, you know, that is, that is something that's, you know, really, you know, beneficial to the, to the local communities. Um, and, you know, by, by making some relatively small investments, we're helping secure that long-term livelihood. So, you know, that, that's certainly one area that we, um, you know, will continue to develop. We've, um, We've recently had uh, one of our investors in Royal Gold um, sign up to to contribute um, to that to that program, which will mean that we can, um, you know, expand it a little bit even further. And you know, it's it's a uh, you know it, it is something that the company is particularly proud of, but it, but it's part of the overall ESG sustainability framework. You know, one of the things that we did um, in January last year was actually appoint um, Philip Avaris, who, who's our EVP sustainability, um, you know, to the Exco. You know, that it's it's important to us. It's equal with operations and finance and and people and leadership. You know, to have that sustainability as part of the Exco. So, um, yeah, it, it's an area that we we'll, we continue to work hard on.
0: Yeah. Um, and concluding, what's the future for, for Golden Star over the, I suppose, short and medium term? Obviously, we've spoken about uh, getting up to sort of 300,000 ounces, but is yep. there anything else in the, the short and medium term that?
1: Yeah. I, yeah. I think that, you know, that, as I said, that's a, that's a base plan for us, um, that, that Wasser expansion. There's, you know, there's still an opportunity, I believe, for consolidation of the sector um, in, certainly in Africa. Uh, so, you know, we're still, we're still, um, you know, looking at ways that we can, you know, we can add to Wassa. So it's not just about, it's not just about um, developing WASA. Um, exploration is another area that as we've been able to free up some capacity in the balance sheet, you know, we've gone from $5 million of exploration last year to $15 million of exploration this year, um, which is, uh, you know, which is more potential future production um, for Golden Star. So, you know, so I think, you know, we're still open to those different uh, m opportunities. We're investing more in exploration. We've got a roadmap for expansion for WASA. You know, we've got a, we've got a, good team on the ground and corporately that's working well together so um, you know I think that there is you know onwards and upwards for golden star Rob
0: yeah looks like there's many opportunities out there well, obviously the yeah. growth and if you're looking obviously the budget expiration budget is um is trebled in size as well and looking for m a activity um, it's certainly uh, keeping your uh keeping you busy as a CEO so um Wish, exactly. you, uh, wish you all the luck for that. Um, if our audience wants to reach out to you, um, if they've got any questions or are yeah. you on any social media, how, how can they get in contact with you?
1: Yeah, LinkedIn is probably the easiest, probably the only um, social media that I'm really um, active in. Um, I find it a good professional network, so if people want to reach out on LinkedIn, you know, I'm more than happy to connect and and um, yeah, contribute where I can.
0: Yeah, and obviously the Golden Star will have a have their own website as well. Are they yep. are they actively on social media the company as well?
1: Yes, yeah, they they certainly on LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, yeah, Facebook, all all of the normal all the normal areas you can follow the progress of Golden Star, um and and the team. Um, so yeah, yeah, look forward to uh, people uh, jumping on and having a little bit of a look at what we're up to.
0: Yeah, certainly. Well, there's a company I'm certainly following. So, I um, hope our audience has uh, enjoyed this episode, um, understanding more about obviously a, a mid tier miner in, in Ghana. And um, obviously, Graham has given a, a good account of, uh, of Golden Star. Um, there's certainly a, a bright future ahead. So, appreciate if you can um, share and like this uh, episode if you're watching it on the YouTube channel below. Um, those that are listening on the podcast, uh, appreciate as as always if you can share this episode uh, and other episodes uh, amongst your friends, family, industry colleagues, um, just so everyone can have the opportunity to listen to obviously this free content um, helps educate the, uh, the the wider mining community um, and also along the way you can learn learn a few things more about your uh, obviously more about the mining industry. So appreciate all your, all of your support and appreciate. Um, yeah just sharing sharing this amongst the the mining community so until next time happy mining thank you for listening remember to reach out to rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review until next time happy mining helping each other to improve the mining industry